We do come tonight and we come, Lord, with thanksgiving in our hearts because of your goodness to us, your faithfulness to us, Lord. And Lord, even in, even in death, Lord, you have given victory, you have given hope and promise. And so we just want to lift up the Garcia family tonight, Lord. We, we rejoice that John is with you. And Lord, to know you and to have your promises become so precious at a time like this. And in this, Lord, we can rejoice knowing that John, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul said to be present with the Lord is far better. So in, in, in that sense, Lord, we, we rejoice for our brother, John, who's gone to be with you. But Lord, we are also mindful of the family, and especially Judy, his wife. We pray for them, Lord. We ask that you would strengthen them. We pray that you would comfort them during this time of grief. And God, that the hope, the hope that they have in you, the hope that they have in John's resting place with you, uh, will encourage them, Lord, in time. We pray that the uh, sorrow will pass and that there will be a sense of hope and peace that will settle in, Lord. We ask all the details for preparing the arrangements, Lord, the memorial service and so forth, God. We ask that you would be with the family as they work through those things. But we ask that you would, Lord, just especially uh, be with them in a supernatural comfort that comes from your Holy Spirit. We also want to open our hearts tonight, God, for you to speak to us as well. Out of your word, as we open together the book of Joshua, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear what you would like to say tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 16. Joshua chapter 16. I'd like to get through Joshua 16, 17, and 18 tonight, Lord willing. We'll see how it goes. We're coming into really kind of the, the final section of the book of Joshua. We've been through most of the conquest, and now we're really just looking at how the Lord is dividing up the land to the children of Israel. You remember that he's called 12 of Jacob's sons to be the nation of Israel. The tribe of Levi would not inherit any land. They would be the priests and they would, the Lord would be their inheritance. But still the land would be divided up into 12 because Joseph would actually receive two portions because you'll remember when Jacob was uh, getting ready to pass away, he blessed Joseph's two sons, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Joseph actually has two of the 12 uh, portions allotted to him, and that, of course, brings it back up to 12. And what we'll be uh, just kind of looking at here tonight is some of how the land is going to be divided, especially by, unto Ephraim and Manasseh. These are the two sons of Joseph. But let me remind you, just by way of review, we've just recently looked at Caleb. You remember Caleb, he was one of the original spies, and uh, he had to wait. 40 years for his inheritance because the children of Israel refused to go in the very first time. But Caleb survived it. Joshua survived it. The two of them grew up in years, but the Lord kept them strong in faith. And boy, Caleb, he said, give me the mountain. Give me those fortified cities. Let me go take it to the giants. Give me the hard land, the tough place. That's the place I saw when I was here 40 years ago. And uh, Moses said I could have it. And the Lord's promised it to me. And I'm as strong today as I was then. And out he went, conquered that land, took that place. And not only was he a man of faith, but we saw that he left something of a legacy of faith. 
uh, his daughter, offering his daughter to the man that would come and take the, the, the next portion of land. And uh, so this young man became his son-in-law, and the two of them also uh, believed by you know, the grace of God that they could be entrusted with more land. And they came and they asked Caleb for more, and he gave it to them. And so we just see that Caleb was this example of faith. He was an example of a man who believed what God had promised was available to him. And he went forward in faith, asking for it, and uh, really believing that God had it for him. Now, I just bring that in review because uh, there's going to be a little contrast in some of the, some of the tribes that we'll see here tonight. Uh, we'll be able to reflect on, wow, that, that's not the way Caleb did it. This is a different uh, attitude that we'll see in some of these tribes here tonight as we go forward. Um, So that's how we finished up chapter 15 and then a long list of the various cities in chapter 15 as well. Moving into 16 now, uh, a lot of what we're going to be looking at is just the description of the boundaries of the land and then also some of the cities that were a part of that land. So I'm not going to take the time uh, to read through each and every boundary listing and each and every city listing. That would be quite a long and tedious project, but we will look for some of the highlights here. And uh, we will stop and pause over some of those highlights. But I'd like if the media could put up our map. I don't know how well you can see that. Hopefully you can see enough of it. Uh, This is actually almost more helpful than reading through the various cities and the various boundaries. Uh, You can kind of skim over that. It's better to get just a good Bible map and you can see how God laid out the 12 tribes in the original conquest of the land. So we'll just keep that up as we go through and uh, you begin to see who, what tribes we're talking about and you can reference the map and kind of get a visual as to where they were in the land. But pick it up with me now in verse 1 of chapter 16 and uh, we see now the lot falling to Ephraim and Manasseh. These were the two sons of Joseph. So this is Joseph's portion and it comes in, he gets a double portion through his sons. Uh, the lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth, and went down westward to the boundary of the Japhletites, as far as the boundary of Lower Beth Horon to Gezer, to Gezer, and it ended up it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. Okay, so you get the idea. These boundaries, hard words to pronounce, but if you look at the map, you can see how that laid out. Now, you'll remember something about um, Manasseh. Manasseh, half of the tribe of Manasseh actually settled on the other side of the Jordan, the east side of the Jordan River. They didn't cross over and take their portion within the promised land. They had negotiated with Moses, and they settled with Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So two and a half tribes, as we've said before, they settled out on the border uh, to the east, but then the other half of Manasseh did, in fact, go in, and uh, did now they draw their lot with Ephraim. And um, Jacob blessed Joseph with this double through his sons. Now, if you remember something about uh, that occasion when Jacob blessed the two sons, Manasseh was the older of the two boys, and Ephraim was the younger. 
And it was customary always to give the, the, the greater blessing to the eldest, the firstborn within the family, but then also a blessing to the secondborn the, and the younger. And when Jacob went to lay his hands on the two boys, he, the, the right hand was to go on the eldest, the right hand signifying the greater blessing, the, you know, the strength of his right hand, and that was to be put on the elder of the two sons. But you'll remember Jacob, what did he do? He crossed his hands. And he put actually his right hand on the younger son and his left on the elder. And Joseph said, no, no, dad, you're, you're goofed up here. Put your hands back. Now. And Jacob said, no. He said, I'm doing this intentionally. It was kind of a prophetic moment. Actually, there would be a greater blessing upon Ephraim than there would be on Manasseh. The younger would receive the greater blessing than the elder. And this is something that we see in other passages of Scripture as well. Uh, you know. Uh, Joseph himself was was younger and received a double portion of blessing than his elder brothers. He wasn't the youngest, but certainly one of the youngest. And, uh, you know, there are other places where we see that God kind of reverses the order and blesses the younger instead of the elder. So this is something of God's choice, God's selection, God's um, blessing. Now, the, the younger one was not to be diminished or lesser blessed, but there was just this sense of a greater blessing upon the elder. And if you look at the history of the nation of Israel, you see that Ephraim actually does become, in time, the most, one of the more prominent of the twelve tribes. And they become, uh, as you look through the scriptures, sometimes, in fact, the northern portion of Israel is just referred to as Ephraim. Because they were often, they, they were the most dominant tribe in the north. So Jacob knew what he was doing when he crossed his hands and blessed them. And now we see that they've come into the land and this lot is falling. We talked about this a little bit last week, but just to remind you, the lot was the way in which the Lord had instructed Moses, Joseph, Eleazar, the high priest, to divvy up the land. It was something of a, we don't know exactly what it was, but something like casting of dice or uh, drawing of straws, some kind of a method in which uh, the person casting the lot had no control over the outcome. However, the Lord did control the outcome. So it was a way of taking the decision out of man's hand. There'd be no disputing, no arguing, no, I want this, oh, you know, that's not fair, you're playing favorites. No, we cast lots. And we let the Lord decide, we trust God to determine which portion of land will fall to each individual. And so this is part of what they're doing. They're doing this in obedience to the Lord. The decision would remain in the Lord's hand. He divinely divided the land. And this is an important principle to remember, even in the New Testament, even in our Christian walk and expression. The Bible talks about us being the body of Christ, right? We see that in numerous places in the New Testament. And we are given each different gifts, different responsibilities within the body, right? Not everybody is a hand. Not everybody is a foot. Not everybody is an eye. Not everyone is an ear. God has uniquely and diversely brought our lives together to function and encourage one another as a church, as the church, and to be in, you know, the active work of God in the earth. The church of Jesus Christ, we are now the hands and feet of Jesus representing Christ, being salt and light in our generation. 
And we again, we look to the Lord to divide us diversely as he, as he desires. Well, I want to be a hand. Well, God's called you to be a foot. Yeah, but I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. Well, you know, that's, this is not necessarily what the God has for you. Now, you know, we're using this, this uh, metaphor, the, the body, but you, you get the idea that God is the one who has cast our lot. God is the one who has placed you. God is the one that has gifted you. God is the one that has called you. you say, well, yeah, well, I, I wish I had... I wish I'd gotten the music ability that so-and-so has. Well, guess what? That, that, God didn't give you that grace in some cases, right? But God has given you other graces. God has given you other uh, abilities and giftings. Unless you think, well, you know, I don't think so. I, I think, all I, I, think I, I, was, I didn't get in line when God was handing out those gifts. I must have missed that. I don't seem to be nearly as gifted, nearly as you know, able and capable as others. But recognize that God has something unique for each and every one. The scriptures tell us this. You don't have to turn, but just remember in Ephesians 4 and verse 7, it says, But to each one of us, listen, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has given grace to each and every one of us. God has given something unique that he has fashioned in your life. Something of His presence, something of Christ resides in you that is unique. Common in one sense that we all share in Christ, but unique in the way that He has distributed giftings to us. And together, we form the whole. I can't say I don't need you, and you can't say that you don't need me. The truth is, God has created us that we do need one another. So, we don't want to be feeling like we don't have any gifts and we don't really fit in the body, nor should we imagine that we have all the gifts and we don't need the rest of the body. Both attitudes and both thoughts are incorrect. And so even here in God dividing up the land, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, this land would be very rich and prosperous for them as a nation. Uh, But just as any nation, you know, there are different There's a variety of resources that have to come from the land. You need oceans, you need, you know, rivers, you need lakes, you need mountains, you need deserts, you need minerals, you need fertile land for fields of harvest. And, you know, there's different things that are available in each part of the land and different people would work that land and bring together the strength of the nation. This is what God had in mind. Now, verses 5 through 10 We get the listing of the Ephraim borders. I'm not going to read all of that to you. As I mentioned, it's just kind of a highlighting. You can look at the map and see how Ephraim was divvied up in their portion. Uh, But we move on here in verse 10. I do want you to see something here. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day, and have become forced laborers. We saw something of this last week as well. We'll see this again. I'm just drawing it to your attention. They were given the land. They were instructed to drive out all the inhabitants of the land, completely subdue the land. But what happened as they got into the land, as they got comfortable in, say, a large portion of the land, they just kind of grew slack, and they didn't finish the job. They didn't actually finish out the conquest, even that God instructed. And so we see it here, even amongst the Ephraimites, 
they didn't drive out all the Canaanites. They left those who dwelt in Gezer. I guess those would be the Gezers. Um, maybe they were some of the seniors. I don't know. The old Gezers. But they didn't drive them out. Now, it's not that they couldn't drive them out, because we see that they were able to make them become forced laborers. They totally dominated them. They could have driven them out. They just didn't. And these things would, in time, cause trouble within the nation of Israel. And we see this as a continual theme. Now, they got comfortable. They didn't completely finish the conquest. That's Ephraim. Look with me now, moving into chapter 17. And verses 1 through 13 discuss the borders of now Manasseh. Now, this is West Manasseh. This is the the half-tribe that came over with the nation of Israel across the Jordan. This is the half-tribe that settled there. So, again, I'm not going to take the time to read through all the names and cities and boundaries there, verses 1 through 13, but I do want to draw your attention to uh, verses 3 and 4, because some of my favorite daughters are listed here. You may remember them from the book of Numbers, the daughters of Zelophehad. Verse 3. But Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. There are some names for you young ladies that are thinking about naming your daughters. The Bible is rich with great names. <laughs> uh, I've got a granddaughter on the way. She's going to be born some, well, April 7th is the due date. Keep my daughter in prayer. We've, we've ruled out the name Hogla. That's not going to be her name. <laughs> But we'll see what the Lord has. They've already named her. Evie is going to be her name. We're very excited. So, our first grandchild. Verse 4. And they came near before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Now, we looked at this quite a bit in detail in the book of Numbers. Uh, You'll remember something of the story. Uh, Zelophehad passed away without having given birth to any sons. And in the culture and in in the way God had instructed the property to stay within the family and extend down through the lineage, it was to be passed down through the sons. And so here's Zelophehad, he doesn't have any sons. His daughters are not technically eligible to receive any of this land. It would have to go to an uncle or a, or a nephew. or There were other ways to accommodate this, this, this situation. But the daughters felt bad. They wanted their father's name to live on. But because he had no son, his name would be lost in the tribe of Israel. That he would be, you know, there would be no land given to, to, the, to the family of Zelophehad. So the daughters had approached Moses. This was back when they were still in the wilderness. And this is what I, I'd like you to, to think about with me. This was long before they got into the land. They were still out in the wilderness. They had never even seen the land. Not these daughters. In fact, only the 12 spies that came in and actually scouted out the land had ever even seen the place. But these daughters, based on God's promise, that there was a promised land coming, 
And this is the way it was going to be divvied up. These daughters, they came to Moses and they said, listen, our father has passed. There's no sons in his lineage. We don't want his name to be lost in the tribe and nation of Israel. We want his inheritance. What would have come to sons, let it come to us. And Moses said, wow, you guys are, you got a good point there. Let me pray. Let me seek the Lord. He actually went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, those daughters are right. You give them land as if they were sons. Don't let his name be lost. And let this become a rule and a way to handle uh, this kind of a situation in the future. If a man passes and has no sons, then you accommodate it through the daughters. So these daughters, I, I really mean it. They are some of my favorite because I love their faith. Never having seen the land, they want it. And you know what? They know it's coming. They know it's coming so much so that they press their case to Moses and they say, you know, we're, we're not there yet. And we've been out in this wilderness for a long time, but we're going to get there. We know it's coming because God has promised it. And we want what God has promised. We don't want to miss what God has in, for, in store for us as a family, as a people, and us as daughters of our Father. We ask that you would do this. They, it was granted, and now here they are. <laughs> they, they haven't forgotten. These daughters are sharp. They're shrewd. They're now, okay. Joshua, we hope you remember, Moses made a, a promise, and he heard from God. It's time for us to cash in on that promise. We're here to get our land. Our, our father had no sons, but we're here. And therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. And it's really a testimony of faith. While they were still afar off and couldn't see the land, they believed it. And they asked God to fulfill it. They desired the the Lord's promise. And the things of God seemed to be a priority to them. I would encourage you to seek those things that God has promised. And that whatever God has for you would be a priority. You know, they could have just as easily said, yeah, well, we'll get married and who cares about all that land? And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Our uncles will have it. It'll all kind of technically still be in the family. But they wouldn't settle for that. They weren't willing to just kind of uh, walk through that. They really wanted the promises of God. And, you know, it's not they weren't asking the Lord to give them something that they desired, but rather they wanted the Lord to give them what they believe he desired for them. And that's important in our walk of faith. What has God promised? You know, Peter says that God has given us precious and magnificent promises. We need to know what they are. What has God promised us as the believer? What has God assured us of as Christians? And we need to walk in that. We need to to pursue that. We need to desire that. It needs to be something of a priority. Desiring all that the Lord has for us. The Apostle Paul said, I I want to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. God has put his hand upon my life for a reason and for a purpose. And I want to come into the fullness of it. I want to lay hold of everything that God has for me that we would not settle. And these daughters of Zelophehad, they they come now full circle. They're getting their land that they they, uh, petitioned Moses for. And Joshua, certainly he remembers. And as the Lord commanded, they now receive their land. But look ahead now there with me in verse 12. Again, now we're talking about Manasseh and the settling of their tribe. But we see something again. Again, this kind of recurring theme. 
Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Now, it seems that at least at some phase, maybe in the early time of their conquesting the land, they actually couldn't drive them out. But in time, they did become strong. And then it wasn't a matter that they couldn't. It became a matter that they wouldn't. They simply accommodated them and put them into forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. It says here that the Canaanites were determined. Have you noticed that some enemies are more stubborn than others, right? And I don't know, I I think of this, I think of a young Christian just getting going in their walk. And you know, when someone first comes to the Lord, there's all kinds of issues, isn't there? Aren't there? Uh, in fact, not even for young in the Lord, I think even as we get older in the Lord, we still have issues. But when, you know, sometimes when you just come out of, you know, come to faith and salvation, you've got all kinds of, you know, habits and friends and relationships and, and really, you know, strongholds in your life, addictions, all kinds of things. People have just gotten saved. Well, we don't expect this magic wand, poof, you're just going to, all of that's going to just stop in your life. You're going to walk as this, you know, full-on, matured, sanctified believer, never struggling with any one of those things ever again. It doesn't work that way. Oftentimes it is a process, and you do have to grow stronger in the Lord. And some of those Canaanites are stubborn, aren't they? They're determined to stay in the land. Some of those vices, some of those habits, some of those old ways of thinking and doing things. But as you grow in the Lord, and there's something of importance there, it's as you strengthen the spirit man, you begin to have opportunity to gain victory over the things of the flesh. If you just go out and try to fight the flesh down, you're going to find out that that flesh is determined. That flesh is stubborn. And he, won't, he will not just yield. But as you feed the Spirit, as you sow to the Spirit, as you strengthen the Spirit through those things that feed our Spirit, what are the, some of those things? Prayer. Fellowship with other believers. Encouraging one another in the Lord. Studying the Word of God. The Word, prayer, fellowship, this kind, these are the kinds of things that strengthen the inner man, strengthen the spiritual man. And in time... As the children of Israel grew strong, it's not that they were not able, but then they simply did not. And that's a a problem with the Christian too. Sometimes it's not a matter of strength, rather a matter of decision, a matter of will, a matter of what you're willing to accommodate in your life. Don't settle. Don't settle for those stubborn Canaanites that want to stay you know, nested as strongholds in your life. Drive them out. Let God completely set you free. God said this through His Word in Second Corinthians, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I don't know, anyone here tonight, you may be struggling. There may be even a strong addiction in your life. You may be wrestling with something. And I know how that can be. I know that, you know, as you're wrestling with some of these things, you wonder, can I ever really be free of this? Will I ever really come out of it? Will I ever really have victory in this area of my life? I want to encourage you that the weapons of your warfare, 
are not carnal. That means they're not of the flesh, but they are mighty in God. You have been divinely empowered for victory. It has been given to you. It has been assured you. Now, I didn't say it'll happen instantly all at once. Like we see, those Canaanites are stubborn. So are things in the flesh. So are our own shortcomings. But by the grace of God, don't settle. Don't settle. Don't find a way to accommodate. And yet you, you feel like you have it subdued. They had the Canaanites subdued. They found a kind of a happy medium, a way to have them co- coexist with them. But in time, these would become the very stumbling blocks to the nation. These would be the very things that would cause them trouble in their future. Look with me now in verse 14. Again, we're here with the children of Manasseh. And something happens in verse 14. The children of Joseph. That would be, of course, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons represented in these tribes. Verse 14, Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people... Then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. But those who are of Beth Shean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel... And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So these children of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. They come to Joseph. Now, interesting, Joseph, uh, they come, excuse me, they come to Joshua. Joshua himself was of the tribe of Ephraim. So they thought for sure they had a, you know, uh, an uh, ally in Joshua. And they come and they say, now Joshua, brother, you know how great we are. We need more land. Give us more land. Give us some more And Joshua said, well, if you want more land, it's right there. Go get it. Cut down the trees, run off the giants. You can go as far as you can take that into that hill country. Oh, that's not what we had in mind, Joshua. They got, they got shared. No, no, give us something else. Give us, just give us something that's easy, something that, that we would like to have because we're so great. We've expanded. Our tribes are growing. Something of an entitlement attitude here. Can you see it? And it could be that, you know, these, these two tribes, think about it. Joseph was the only one of the twelve of Jacob's sons that was given inheritance through into two of his sons. Everyone else, it was just Jacob's original son. They got a division. Ephraim and Manasseh, we're Joseph's sons. We got double portion. Remember? Remember our great-great-great-grandfather Joseph, you know, the one who saved us all and got us into Egypt and, the, you know, ran the whole country? That Joseph, yeah, yeah, that's, that's our lineage. So you kind of see that maybe some of this had filtered down into the, into the tribe itself. 
And of course, with Joseph being a part of their lineage, excuse me, with Joshua being a part of their lineage, no doubt they they thought they would get special treatment. And um, Joshua wakes him up and says, "I don't think so, guys. Um, if you don't uh, have enough, uh, you're going to have to go get more. The land is there, but it's it's tougher land than than what you're looking for. Pride." Entitlement can cause us, I think, sometimes to imagine that somehow God should just be giving us something or doing something for us. Or others, you know, why aren't you just blessing me and taking care of me? And God, why aren't you just granting this and giving me that? It can be that entitlement type of an attitude, but also pride. We are a great people. You know, we're, enti- we're, we're, we're just better than the rest of these tribes. We're bigger, we're stronger, we need more land. Give us some room to grow and do what, you know, we need to do. And uh, Joseph says, you know, if you're so great, go clear the forests, go run out the giants, show us your greatness. We're here to observe. You know, and there's something of the, of the Lord, I think, in this, almost a rebuke, but also... An encouragement, look, God will give you more. God wants you to have that land. You, you need more? God's blessing you? God will give you, will we'll increase those borders, but you're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to go out there. And Joshua says, go cut the forest down. Clear the land. Make room for yourself. Yeah, but though they have, they have chariots. Well, God is with you. They have chariots. You have God. Go run them out. Go drive them off. Walk faithfully in what God has already given to you. What God has already entrusted to you. Exercise your faith. Don't come asking for more. Be faithful with what you have. God had already given them boundaries. They just didn't want to go settle the hard land. They just wanted some more easy land. Knows Jesus, who said to everyone who has, will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. And that context was when Jesus told that parable about the master giving talents to his various servants, and the one who was unfaithful with what he had, the master took it from him and gave it to the one who was faithful. In other words, God is looking for faithfulness. God will give increase, God will bless, God will give more, as you are faithful with what has already been entrusted to you. That's what God is looking for. The response, it's not enough. Chariots of iron, give us more easy land. We don't want to have to work and fight for it. It's too hard. It's not what we want. Joseph said, well, that's what you have opportunity to to take. I want you to, if you would, open your, you have your place there in Joshua. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. I want to, because this attitude can can creep right into the the church. It creeps into our families. It creeps into our own thinking. This entitlement attitude or this, this prideful attitude, thinking that somehow we're, you know, we're, We're the children of Joseph. We're the chosen ones of all God's people. Paul would write this in Romans chapter 12, talking again about how God has diversely called us individually to function as a body. He says this in verse 3. Romans 12, pick it up with me in verse 3. 
For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, what? Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And he goes on. If the prophecy, let us prophecy in proportion to our faith. And he goes on and gives a certain sampling of gifts and that you would walk in them. But again, it addresses a little bit of this entitled, this prideful attitude. Paul says, look, don't think more highly than you ought to think. It's not to, not to imagine that you have no gifting, that you have no purpose, no calling, no place. No, but don't think more highly than you ought to think. Think, he says, soberly. God has given to what? To each one a measure of faith. Yes, you have great value in the body of Christ. Yes, you have been entrusted with ministry and grace into your life. But so has everyone else in the body of Christ. So you need to think soberly. You recognize that you have a part, but you don't think of your part too highly because you recognize you're just one of many parts. And this is what was happening in uh, you know, Manasseh and Ephraim's mind. They weren't thinking about the other ten tribes getting land, were they? They just come right to Joshua. Hey, he's, a, he's part of us anyway. Give us more land. Well, what about the other ten? Well, whatever you want to do about them, we don't care. But just give us more. A very kind of a, a self-seeking kind of an attitude. Thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think. And this is an important lesson for us as well. That our gift and calling would be thought of soberly. The truth is... Um, We're not to devalue our service, but nor should we devalue the service of others. Sometimes, you know, we imagine that only our ministry matters and that everyone should share our passion. This happens even in the body of Christ. You have a burden for missions. You have a burden for youth. You have a burden for the lost. You have a burden for worship, music. I mean, the various parts of ministry that often make up a congregation or a fellowship. And God has put something in you that just, just drives you. There's a passion for that. And what happens if you're not careful is that you get frustrated with everyone else who doesn't share your passion. What's wrong with you? Why don't you, you know, want to go you know, on a mission trip with me when I go or when we go? You're such, a, you know, you're such an inferior Christian. All you care about is children's ministry. They don't need you over there. We need you down in, you know, on the mission field. You know, and this, this attitude, maybe not sad, I'm, obviously I'm you know, putting a little more animation to it, but this attitude creeps in and we begin to judge one another. Oh yeah, he raises his hands in worship. Where is he when it's time to move chairs? You know? I'm the real servant here. He's a pretender. Right? Where are you? Oh, yeah, you're all about getting up with the microphone. Oh, yeah, big singer. Where are you when, I got, when the little six-year-olds are, you know, needing to be cleaned up and we're having to take care of the little kids, right? And you can despise someone else's passion and ministry and calling because somehow it doesn't, you know, it, you, don't, you can't relate to it. 
You can't relate to that ministry. You don't feel called to that. God hasn't given you a real passion for that. And you begin to you think that somehow your ministry is the most important. That's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You've got to think soberly. What that means is, with a clear mind, look, God has called us uniquely. Now, yes, we are all called corporately in some things that we all embrace, you know, and in our salvation, the love of God, the love of one another. And all of us should have some desire to see the lost saved and to see our children ministered to and to spread the word out into the mission field. Not that we don't share in in common goals and desires, but we can't do all of it, right? Not one person can do all of that. So God is going to uniquely gift and call us as He desires and as He has put it into your heart. And be careful not to imagine that your ministry is somehow you know, more important than someone else's. And at the same time, don't imagine that your ministry is less important than someone else's. Because your ministry isn't necessarily as high profile. You know, it's not as seen by many. You know, your ministry is behind the scenes. And you feel like maybe you're underappreciated. You may feel like maybe you don't matter. Your gift is not important. Now recognize that God has, has given you uh, grace to serve in areas that maybe others don't have. But it's, it's unto the Lord. You're not doing it for man. You're not doing it for notice. You're doing it for the Lord. And you, you do it faithfully unto Him. When you feel like you need to do everything, that, that causes problems. You begin to meddle. You think you should be doing everything because you can do it better anyway. I'll just do it myself. You can't do that. And you insert yourself into somebody else's ministry. Or you criticize. Why do they do it that way? Oh, man, I, that's not the way I would do it. That's not the way I would. That's not the color I would have painted the children's ministry. That's not the, you know, these things come in because... But again, if God hasn't entrusted that to you, just let God's gift work in various individuals as He has called us. Use what you have. And don't try to do what someone else is called to do, but be faithful in what God has called you to do. We see this attitude. All the way back in dividing of the land. We see people thinking more highly of themselves. People getting a little uh, um, entitled in their, in their attitude and thinking. And God shuts them down. Joshua says, I don't think so, guys. Even though I'm one of your tribe, you want more, it's there. Go cut the land. Go run off the giants. Chapter 18. We'll finish up here. Chapter 18 tonight. And again, a lot of this will just be summary, but um, take a look with me. Uh, Something now, they've kind of settled most of the land, but there's still a number of tribes needing to be settled. Pick it up with me in verse 1. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men of each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise and go through the land. 
survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south. And the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Things we've talked about already. Verse 8. Then the man arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. So, seven tribes still needing to conquest their land. Joshua moves the tabernacle to Shiloh, out of Gilgal onto Shiloh. This was more central. This would be a central location for the nation to worship, which would be an important part of their life in the Lord, of course. But he says something, how long will you neglect possessing this land? Now the land for them had not yet been divided, but in some way, we don't know the details, but in some way they were dragging their feet. Must have been some time that went by and they were just kind of not moving forward and possessing land. They were still kind of living on the borders or living within their their brother's land. And Joshua said, guys, you need to get in there and get what God has. This conquest is not over. How long are you going to wait? And so he comes up with um, this plan, which we believe is of the Lord. Joshua was being directed by the Lord. And this is a little different than the way they'd been doing it. He sends them out to survey the land. Look, here's the land that's left. Here's the land that hasn't been conquered yet, that hasn't been divided up yet. You go out, you guys survey the land, divide it up evenly that you, in ways that you think would be appropriate into those seven, seven uh, divisions. Then come back and we'll let the Lord decide which one of you gets each part of the land. So... Um, Something that, you know, God has now changed slightly, but he's still controlling the ultimate decision. But I like this. I like to see that Joshua is engaging uh, these guys in in going out and using their ability to survey the land. It's kind of like, get out there. Take a step of faith. Get started. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. We're not sure what land's going to be. Okay, listen, just go. Go and survey. Go check it out. You know God has this land for you. Get out there and start looking it over, praying over it, you know, surveying it. Come back here. We'll pray. We'll seek God. And we'll let Him decide and show us the way. And this is, I think, the way the Lord works in our lives sometimes, too. We can get kind of neglectful. And because we don't know exactly what to do, we don't know exactly what God has. We're waiting for, you know, the clouds to part and an audible voice. We want God to give us clear instruction, and I understand that. But, you know, God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes, you know what, just go step out, go survey the land. Then come back and say, okay, God, I've, I found some opportunities here. What do you think? And begin to pray. You know, I've shared this with you when we came up even to plant a church here. We thought we were going to plant a church in Arcadia. That's where I was working. 
Do you, do you ever get sick of this story? Do you ever just feel like, yeah, Pastor, we've heard all this before? I'm sorry. But anyway, it's, it's just it's a good example. You know, I've listened to a lot of Chuck Smith tapes. He uses the same stories over and over and over again. So I'm in good company, you guys. I'm just going to keep telling my story. Anyway, because it's what the Lord did. We thought we were going to plant a church in Arcadia. That's where I was working. So we started scouting. We started looking. We started surveying the land. Well, nothing opened up. God redirected us, and we we ended up here in Monrovia. But, you know, sometimes you just got to go. Start knocking on doors. Start taking steps. See what God has. Uh, in, in an area that you feel he's leading you, an area of ministry, and uh, it could be a, it could be a professional decision. It could be, uh, you know, just whatever it is. You feel the Lord drawing you. You feel like God is speaking, but you you just don't know exactly how to proceed, and so you don't do anything. And Joshua says, you know, you guys are neglecting. God has something for you. Get started. Get out. Just go survey the land and come back and we'll pray and see what God has. Sometimes you just need to put feet to your faith and let the Lord ultimately direct you. You don't take matters into your own hands. You don't force God. You know, God can't be forced. He can't be manipulated. But sometimes God begins to stir your heart and he's looking for you and I to step in faith. Respond to that, not just lock up and say, well, as soon as you tell me, God, you know, I'll do it, but I don't know, and so I, I just don't. You know, sometimes it's, there, are, there are times for waiting, but sometimes there are times for going and moving and surveying. You haven't made a final decision, you haven't gotten ahead of the Lord, but you're at least getting engaged in what you know God has promised for you. They knew God had promised land. They knew that there was something to possess, but they'd been negligent. Now contrast that with Caleb. Knocking at the door, I'm ready. Where I know where I'm going. The, the mountain, the giants, let me at them. The daughters of Zelophehad, hey, we're ready. You know what? God's promise. That faith, that anxious desire to come into the fullness of what God has for you. I think it's a good, good, uh, practical way to look at faith even in our own lives. Uh, the final verses of chapter 18, we won't read again just by summary. The borders of uh, verses 11 through 28, the borders of Benjamin are now given. So they go out, they survey the land, and God's going to start to divvy it up. And uh, the borders of Benjamin are outlined. Again, you can see the map where Benjamin ended up and all of his cities. Verses 11 through 28 of chapter 18 give you that all the detail accordingly. So uh, we'll pick up next week in chapter 19 as we continue Uh, really kind of the home stretch here in the book of Joshua. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the practical application of faith, conquest, moving forward, moving into the fullness of what you have for us as your children, as believers. In our personal lives, Lord, you want us to be walking by faith. You want us to be walking in victory. Sin is not to have master over us, Lord. We're not to be living defeated. We're not to be living in complete um, confusion or dismay. But we're to have joy. We're to have peace. We're to walk in a certain confidence and hope because of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, that requires faith. That requires us at times just rising up and cutting down the wood, clearing the land, driving out the giants, even the stubborn ones. 
moving forward. Lord, I pray for our hearts tonight, my own, my own, my own included. As you keep me moving forward, I want to be like Paul, always pressing to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. And Lord, for each one of us, you've laid hold of us. Everyone that knows you, Lord, you have distributed grace to each one. Everyone in this room that knows you in a personal way, you've laid hold of them for purpose. You've deposited something of yourself, your grace, your, your calling upon their life. And Father, I pray that we would, like the daughters of Zelophehad, we, we would want it. And we would not settle for anything less than the fullness of it. And like Caleb, Lord, we would not grow weary. We would not, you know, grow weak over time. But we would continue to desire to move forward. And Lord, it may be that some just need to survey tonight. They just need to get out and start surveying the land of their Christian life. Lord, and I trust your Holy Spirit to speak the, the specifics into each heart tonight, Lord. How it manifests, how it applies. But I think you want us moving with you. We want us walking with you in faith and confidence and hope and strength. Fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight, God. Fill us with your love afresh and anew. Cleanse us tonight, God. Sanctify us. Set us apart for this day that you've placed us to live in, Lord. That we would walk in the victory and the conquest that you have for us individually and as a church, as a people, for your glory. As our heads are bowed and we close here tonight, I do want to give opportunity, if anyone is here tonight needing to respond to the Lord, it may be that you are here tonight, you don't know the Lord in a personal way, you don't have a personal relationship with God and Christ, and you want to come to Him tonight, the Lord's speaking to you, I'd love to pray for you. When I say come to the Lord, I mean come to Him as Savior. Come to the cross of Jesus and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I'm a sinner. I've been going my own way. Lord, I realize that I can't be righteous in my own strength. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And I, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that Jesus came and paid the price for my failure, that I might ha- be forgiven and that I might have victory in him. And that may be what you need to pray tonight. That may be your cry tonight. Maybe you need to rededicate. Come back to the Lord. You've fallen away. You've drifted off from the Lord. You're walking and living really in, in something far less than the, the promises that God has for you. Maybe you've been defeated by some stronghold in your life that's caused you to lose heart. So many different things that cause us to drift from the Lord, but the door is always open to come back. Jesus always invites us to come back to Him, receive mercy and fresh grace anew tonight. If you're here tonight and you need that prayer that I've already prayed, you want that to be your prayer for Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you. Or if you need to rededicate, recommit your heart to Him, just raise your hand where you are and we'll pray. Finish up in prayer. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? You over there in the back on my right. God bless you. Any others? Lord speaking to you. You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. Just before I pray, anyone else? Lord speaking to you.
And so, Lord, for these two that have responded, I pray that you would meet them, God. Lord, just as I prayed, I pray that you would make that their prayer. That crying out for mercy and forgiveness. That crying out for you to cleanse them. That crying out for you to bring them close to you. Lord, that you would fill them afresh and anew with your spirit. They would live and walk with you forgiven and cleansed. And Lord, empowered to live for you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you for your patience tonight. We covered three chapters, made a lot of good traction there. Let's stand, let's stand tonight and we'll close quickly in a song of worship. It may be that some of you need prayer tonight, even those that responded. We'd love to pray with you individually if you need prayer. So we invite you to come receive prayer right after we close in a song of worship. God bless you tonight. Lord be with you.